May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship, and I'm really glad that you're here today uh, as we continue on here in week two of our uh, message series, Evidence That God Exists. And I really want to welcome, especially those of you that visited on Easter Sunday for the first time, uh, welcome back today. Um, And last week on Easter Sunday, uh, in week one of this series, we looked at the Easter evidence, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that, uh, the, that resurrection is a documented historical event that proves that God exists. Because, let I me mean, think about it. If God did not exist, how in the world did Jesus rise from the dead three days later? I mean, is there any explanation for that, like, that doesn't involve aliens, you know? I mean, really. So the fact that Jesus rose from the dead exactly as he predicted honestly provides pretty compelling evidence for the existence of God. And so if you didn't get last week's message, I'd encourage you to um, get it on our uh, church app. Uh, Get that on your phone or listen to the podcast on iTunes. Now, um, let me say welcome to our jury this morning. Welcome, friends. Thanks for being here and uh, taking a front row seat to the message today. So I'm glad that you're here. Um, I also brought back with us today... Um, our two red bars. Uh, last week we were calling these the bars of belief. And basically these bars represent um, the leap that a person has to make or the step a person has to make to go from not believing in God to believing that he exists. And in between these two bars is a gap. It's a gap of misinformation or maybe a gap of a lack of information. Now a lot of people think that there is this enormous leap of faith that you have to take in order to believe in God. But the truth is, if you listen to the evidence in this series, last week, this week, as well as the next three weeks, I think what you'll find is that gap is significantly smaller than you thought, and that really, it's just a step of faith to believe that God exists. Now, when I was in seventh grade... I had something happen to me that, well, honestly, I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget it because it, it, was, just, it was just so unexpected. Um, it happened uh, in Mr. Blankenship's seventh grade science class. I was sitting on the very front row right in the middle, and he opened class one day by pointing at me and saying, do you believe in evolution or seven-day creation? And I was like, because I got freaked out. I was like, ah, seven-day creation. And so then he goes around the whole room, and he asks every single person in the room the very same question. Now, I told him that I believed in seven-day creation, but the truth is, I didn't know why I believed that. You know, did I believe that just because my teacher at church told me that's the way it was? And so it really got me thinking. I mean, did I believe in a seven-day creation because I really knew that it was true? Or was evolution true? Or was the real answer, you know, somewhere in between? And so over the years, I began to research, and I read, and I studied, and I talked to some really smart people about, you know, the whole dilemma. And you know what I found? 
I found that the answer is a whole lot less about seven-day versus evolution, and it's a whole lot more about that it is God behind all of it. Because, look, here's the deal. If God is not behind it all, and if God does not exist, you know what that means for us? It means that you ought to just go live however you want to, because nothing really matters. If all we are is a cog in the machine of evolution, then it doesn't matter how you live. There is no purpose. There is no rhyme. There is no reason. There is no rationale behind anything. So just go live however you want to. Do what you want. Do whatever feels good. Do whatever is convenient for you. Do whatever uh, you want to do. Go ahead and live whatever self-absorbed life you want because the truth is nothing really matters because there is no higher power and therefore there is nothing higher. So just live for yourself. How truth is, I mean, that, that, that is a pretty empty way to live life. And the truth is, you're here today because either you know there's something more, or you suspect there's something more, or you hope there's something more. And I'm here to tell you, there is something more. In fact, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to all of this than probably what you've ever considered before. And so here's the deal. One of the key pieces of evidence that God actually exists comes from the theory of evolution. Because you see, the theory of evolution, it set out to be an alternative to the existence of God, but in actuality, it becomes evidence for the existence of God. So, what is this evidence from evolution that God exists? Well, consider exhibit A. Pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. Exhibit A is this, is that the chances of a godless evolution are too remote. They're just simply too remote. See, the theory of evolution begins with the Big Bang, and then out of that Big Bang, there comes this primordial soup here on our planet that was able to form after the earth cooled off long enough to you know, sustain life. And that in that primordial soup, there were amino acids that came together to form proteins. Those proteins came together to form cells. Those cells came together to form life. And out of that life, out of that primordial soup, that's where we get everything from aardvarks to zebras to trees. Okay, That's, in a nutshell, how it goes down. So I'll tell you what. Let's start at the beginning. Let's just talk about the amino acids that were there in that primordial soup. Okay, here's the deal. It takes three, here's, it's in your notes. It takes 300 amino acids to form the simplest protein. The chances of all 300 coming together in the right place, in the right sequence, is one in 10 to the 408th power. It's one in 10 to the 408th power. Now, the truth is, that number is so big that you can't really comprehend it. So to help you get a grasp on it, I brought with me here today a roll of toilet paper. Now, I told you last week that I was going to use a roll of toilet paper to help talk about the theory of evolution, so here goes. And uh, so, yeah, if you'll start right here with this roll of toilet paper, and, and as Pastor Ryan asks you to help, I'm going to ask you to help some of you that are, uh, to help hold up this roll of toilet paper. And if you'll hold it up, 
Yeah, don't, don't break it, man. That's like important stuff right there. Um, yeah, hold it up where people can see it. That would, be, that would be awesome. Yeah, if you'll hold it right there, that'd be great. Okay, wait, wait, stop right there. Stop right just here. No, here, hold it to the sides of that red, red thing. All right, you see this red square right here? This red square is the 50th zero in this sequence. Now look, look at your sermon notes. This is important. This is important because for scientific purposes, anything past 10 to the 50th power is considered scientifically impossible to occur. It's so improbable that it's impossible ever to occur. This is known as Borel's Law, okay? So at this red X, science says anything past that, it's just impossible. It's so improbable. And remember, one zero past that means that there's got to be 10 of those. Two zeros past means this has got to hurt 100 times. Three is 1,000. Now, let's see how improbable it is for these amino acids to come together just to form a protein. We're not even talking about life yet, okay? Let's just see how improbable this is. That is 10 to the 408th power. That's how big this number is. Remember, science says right here, anything beyond this is so improbable that it is statistically impossible ever to occur. But this is what it takes for the amino acids to come together just to form a protein. We're not even talking about life yet. Get this. Y'all, hold, keep holding. Get this. Here's your next fill-in. There are 750 proteins in the simplest cell. So this, get this, all this would have to occur 750 times in a row in order for there to actually be life. For this, all this stuff to happen by chance, it would be like taking a pair of dice and rolling double sixes 90,000 times in a row. If ever you rolled anything other than double six, there is no life. All we have is primordial soup. That's it. Hey, thank, y'all can just put that toilet paper just straight on the ground. Thank y'all for your help. I really appreciate it. Thank you for helping show that. Look, here's the deal. Hey, would you mind hold, hold this just like this so people can see it? Just, just stay right, hold it. If you cling to evolution and just say, you know what, it, it just has to be true, then basically what you're saying is that you believe a scenario that is so astronomically, statistically impossible that even science itself says it just simply cannot be, then you are clinging 
to an idea, to a theory that I'll be honest with you, is so statistically astronomical that that is, my friends, one gigantic leap of faith. It is so huge to just believe that that could have occurred 750 times in a row. But nevertheless, life exists. And because life exists, because it's here, against ridiculous odds, doesn't it make more sense to believe that perhaps there was some sort of intelligent designer behind it all? That the odds are so statistically against it that science says it's impossible? And so therefore, isn't it a little bit easier to believe that surely something had to be driving it? And if so, then that becomes a very small step of faith by comparison. In fact, really by comparison, it's actually a baby step. But that's not all. I want you to consider Exhibit B. Look at Exhibit B this morning. Exhibit B is this. That complex organs cannot be fashioned by evolution. Complex organs cannot be fashioned by evolution. Remember, the theory of evolution says that changes in species take place in little bitty tiny increments over long periods of time. In fact, and it's those incremental changes that make that organism stronger and able to survive. You know, Charles Darwin, in his studies, he observed a, um, a population of finches, uh, little birds, that during a season of drought, the, the finches that just had a little bit bigger beak were able to survive because they were able to eat like these bigger seeds that are normally ignored by the finches. And so the smaller beaked finches struggled but the bigger beak finches were able to survive. And Darwin said that over a period of years that this drought continued, that eventually the smaller beak finches would die out, the bigger beak finches would live, and thus the species would change. Well, okay. I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, that sounds pretty reasonable. And that, I think that works when you're talking about beaks, Okay. But it doesn't work when you're talking about complex organs. Like, let's take, let's take your eyeball, for example, okay? Let's just take your eyeball. There are some pretty major com- complicated components you have to have in order to have a eye- working eyeball. You have to have a pupil. You have to have an iris. You have to have an optic nerve, rods and cones. Um, you have to have a cornea and a lens. You've got to have a lot of things to make an eyeball work. Now, evolution would say that those things would form in little bitty increments over a long period of time. And the thinking would say that there were some environmental forces that would cause um, uh, an, an organism to form an eye or the components to an eye, and that basically that if, if an organism had 5% of an eye, that 5% vision would give that organism such, such advantage over the rest of the population that that organ, organism would grow and thrive and the others would just simply die out. There's only one problem with that. 5% of an eye does not equal 5% vision. If you have 5% of an eye, you're blind. You have no vision at all. And there is no evolutionary model or example for a species to form something as complicated as an eyeball 
in one generation. And so if evolution cannot come up with a reasonable answer for the existence of something like an eyeball, then how in the world could evolution be true? But also consider Exhibit C. Look at Exhibit C. Here it is. The scientific fossil record does not support evolution. Darwin himself postulated that the fossil record would eventually be made up mostly of all of these intermediate and transitional species. I mean, you know, look, in 1859 when, you know, he was talking about this stuff, there weren't that many paleontologists in the world, there weren't that many dig sites, and the equipment they had was primitive compared to what we have today. And so the, the prevailing thought was that as, you know, more and more was discovered, that the fossil record would be filled with these transitional species. In fact, it would make up most of the fossil record. But that just simply didn't happen. In fact, um, if you were to look at the fossil record, there are almost no transitional species at all. I mean, take the saber-toothed tiger, for example. There are no fossil records of, uh, of tigers eventually having smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller teeth until you get the tiger we have today. It just simply doesn't exist. In fact, look at your message notes. If a person were to only look at the fossil record without bias and interpret what it said, there will be two major conclusions. The first is stasis. Most species exhibit no change during their time on earth. They appear looking much the same as when they disappear. The second conclusion would be sudden appearance. Sudden appearance. In any local area, species does not gradually rise by the steady formation of its ancestors. It appears all at once and fully formed. Okay. Well, then what is the answer? I think it's in two parts. Here's the first. Believe that a God-driven creation is a smaller step of faith than a God-less creation. Believe that a God-driven creation is a smaller step of faith than a God-less creation. I mean, look, if, if you want to believe in a godless evolution, that's fine. You can still come to church here, and we will still love you and accept you. It's perfectly fine. But if you're going to believe in that, then the burden of proof now falls to you. To be intellectually responsible, you have to come up with viable answers to these three pieces of evidence. And you have to explain away these three pieces of evidence in a convincing fashion. Because the burden of proof is now on you. Because, look, here's the deal. It is a much bigger leap of faith to believe that all of this could have come together by evolution than by the existence of God. I mean, to say that all this came by evolution despite ridiculously astronomical odds despite the fact that it's, evolution has no model for complex, complex organs to be created, and that there is no fossil record to support evolution, to believe in it is a much bigger leap of faith than just simply to believe that there had to be some sort of intelligent design, some sort of God behind it all. It's a much bigger leap of faith. In fact, the Bible talks about how creation proves that God exists. Look what it says. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Look at this verse. 
For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Basically what this verse is saying is saying that whenever you stand on this seashore and you look at the expanse of the horizon, whenever you stand on your back porch and you look at the night sky, when you see a spectacular sunset, or when you pause long enough to consider and think about the complexity of nature itself, that that is God revealing himself to you. That it's in those moments that you can see God's eternal power and his divine nature. And he says that he orchestrates those moments so that we are without excuse, so that you are without excuse, which means that you can't stand before God on judgment day and go, whoa, God, I had no idea you were even real. Nobody told me. To which God would reply, do you remember that day that you were thinking about the expanse of the universe? Do you remember when you were thinking about how big the globe really is? Do you remember when you were thinking about the complexity of nature? That was me revealing myself to you. Wow, that's huge. The second component is this, is that I need to remember how the world was created is not nearly as important as who did the creating. Remember that how the world was created is not nearly as important as who did the creating. Genesis 1.1, here's how the Bible opens up. The Bible opens with this. In the beginning, God created. Circle those two words. Circle God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Look, I don't want to talk about how evolution is untrue without telling you some possibilities of what is true. Now look, here's the deal. I don't want to get into a debate about exactly how all of this stuff you know, came to be. You know, the truth is, I wasn't there. So I don't really know. And the truth is, you weren't there, so you don't really know. Okay? But what we can know for sure is that God is the one that did the creating. And the truth is, there are multiple God-centered explanations for creation that all agree with what the Bible says. So I want to go through a few of those options with you so that you can see what they are. Here's the first. The first is known as theistic evolution. This theory basically says that evolution happened much like scientists say that it did, but it did not happen by mere chance or luck. That God was the one behind it all, driving the changes in each of the species. And look, bottom line, if this is true, then that takes care of the statistical problem that we used this morning with the toilet paper. Because bottom line, if it's God's plan for something to happen, then the chances of it happening are 100%. And so these folks would say that the, that the Genesis account in Genesis 1 is meant to be taken figuratively and not literally. 
That's theistic evolution. The next is called the age-day theory. It's called the age-day theory. It finds its basis in a verse in the Bible, which is 2 Peter 3.8. It says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Bottom line, they would say that the seven-day story in Genesis is legit, but each day was actually an age of time, and not literally a 24-hour day. That God basically used theistic evolution to create the world over these ages of time, which solves the problem of dinosaurs, because basically they were created and they died out, just as paleontology would say, okay? So each day, it was really an age of time. The next is called the gap theory. It's called the gap theory. This theory says that basically there is a gap in time of millions, maybe even billions of years between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1, okay? To help illustrate this, uh, if you look back at those verses, I actually put a little gap between verses 1 and 2 so you can see what we're, what we're talking about. Basically what they're saying is that in verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth complete with dinosaurs and all the prehistoric stuff that we know about. And then, as some call it, scholars suggest, there was some sort of a cataclysmic event, perhaps a flood, because verse 2 talks about deep waters. And then, as a result, the earth was destroyed and it became formless and empty, as verse 2 describes. And then in verse 3, God begins the process of recreating life, just as it says in Genesis. It's known as the gap theory. The last is the seven-day theory. And this basically says that God created the world in a literal seven days, exactly as the Bible says. So here's the thing. Which of these is true? Which is true? Let me say this. It does not matter! It doesn't matter which one is true. The only thing that matters is who did the creating. The whole point of Genesis chapter 1 is not to focus on how it was all done. It was, it's meant to focus on who did the creating. And it is God that did the creating. Did he use theistic evolution over a period of billions of years? I don't know. Did he use a, a period of ages instead of days? Don't know. Was there a gap? I don't know. Was it a little seven days? I don't know. It does not matter. The only thing that matters is that God is the one that did the creating. Now, it's kind of fun to talk and makes great conversation to talk about, you know, these different theories and what the advantages and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, it makes no difference. The only thing that matters is that God is the one that did the creating because, honestly, that is the point of today. Because without God, none of this exists. So pull out your connection card and hold it right next to your message notes. And check the next step or steps that you're willing to take today. Maybe it's this first one. I choose to believe that God is at the center of creation and that none of this could have happened without him. Would you be able to check that? This next one. I will take some time this week and give the creator credit for what he created. Would you take some time this week 
and thank God for what he's done? Next. I will memorize Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the opening verse of the Bible. You should know that one, okay? If you've never bothered to commit that one to memory, start there, okay? It's the linchpin of everything that happens in not just Genesis chapter one, but everything that happens in the Bible. God created. That's the point. Memorize it. Now, if you already have that one memorized, then I would encourage you, memorize this next set of verses. It's 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. And I've tacked on verse 9 because to give you what the point of that whole verse is, it says this, it's, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What he's saying there, he's saying the whole point of God not sending Jesus Christ back, that's what, what that patience is referring to. He's patient by not sending Jesus Christ back because once he does, history as we know it is over. And nobody can become a Christ follower at that point because he's already here. And so the chance to choose him is over. And he's saying that he's patient with you and he's patient with me because he wants to give everyone that will an opportunity to choose to become a Christ follower. And so that's why he's delaying. It's out of his great love for you and for the people that you know. It's an incredibly powerful verse. If you've never memorized it, oh man, commit that one to memory. It's incredible. And here's the deal. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, this is a chance for you to do it. At the bottom of your message notes, right underneath all that, is a sample prayer for how to become a Christ follower. If you've never prayed that prayer and you're ready to do it now, you're ready to take that little step of faith to become a Christ follower because of what you heard last week or this week or both. Then pray that prayer right now. And then I also want you to check this next box. It says, I want to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Make sure you check that box because I want to mail you some free stuff in the mail to help you get started I also want you to pick up a new believer packet. It's on a little table just before you walk outside of each, door, each of these doors. Just snag one on your way out today. How about this last one? I will do some reading from Christian resources about evolution and creation. Look, if you want to do some, read some great books, let me give you a few of them. Um, and you can listen to this on the podcast. So if you don't get it all down, that's fine. Just listen to it on the podcast on our church app. Um, the first is a book called Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel. Man, awesome book. Lee Strobel's a former atheist. Uh, and went out to research to try to disprove God and ended up finding out that he's real. So, great book. Uh, another book is called uh, Darwin's Black Box by Michael Behe. Great book. Um, and not very technical. Really, really good book. Fabulous book. Another book, actually my personal favorite was this one, Darwin on Trial by Philip Johnson. It is a little bit technical, but I kind of like that stuff. So, um, Read, this is also a great book. Any of these books would be fabulous, and there's tons of other stuff out there. So make it a point to do some reading on your own. Now, let me pray for all of us as Pat and the worship team come back up. Father, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you that you are real, and you've never attempted to hide yourself behind all this stuff. The truth is, you're just waiting for us to discover it for ourselves, that you are genuine. And that you do exist. And so for those in this room that have been struggling with that for years, I pray and ask you in Jesus' name that you would continue to reveal yourself to them to the point where they can take that step of faith. 
For those that have already crossed that line, that have taken that step of faith, I want to say, God, thank you that you have revealed yourself through creation and that through the wonder of what we see, we see your majesty, we see your glory. And so, God of all creation, we tell you that you are great and awesome, powerful and wonderful, and thank you for loving us first so that we can love you back. And bring us all back safely next week. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.